Oh, give it up to the choir one more time, huh? Don't you love Christmas music? To quote, uh, to quote Jim Carrey's The Grinch, right? It's joyful and triumphant, right? Christmas music, hey, more of that to come all month long, and especially on Christmas Eve, we're really, uh, we're going to blow the doors off this place on Christmas Eve, so please, I know if you're like us, Christmas Eve can be an evening full of family tradition, and there are plenty of other things to do, but what we're trying to put together for our family here is something that annually now will fit really well in your family traditions home on Christmas Eve. So please, come try it out and include that in your Christmas Eve family traditions. Amen? Amen. Amen. Well, you all survived Black Friday? Yeah? A little tired this morning? About uh, 8 o'clock service, about 7.59 a.m., I think there were 12 people there, and I thought it's usually after Thanksgiving it's hard to get uh, uh, people to come because they're getting over the tryptophan from the turkey, right? That stuff really works if you want to sleep, and uh, oh, Black Friday and shopping. Did, did you all do your share to boost the economy? Uh, yeah, okay. You made, it, you made it alive from the stores? And, and from the parking lots, you take your life in your hands in those parking lots, don't you? Heads up. Um, I did a little looking last night, and uh, actual statistics are not yet available uh, for Black Friday, but based on online sales, which for whatever reason are available immediately, uh, IBM somehow has them. Kind of makes you wonder who's looking at your online sales all the time, right? Based on those sales, uh, the retailers... Uh, are projecting that the Christmas spending in that 30 days between Thanksgiving and Christmas will be up 3% from last year, um, and the grand total of what will be spent retail in these 30 days between Thanksgiving and Christmas, $465 billion. And this in a tough economy, Right? One of the toughest economies in our country's history, and we're about to plunk down half a trillion dollars in these 30 days. That's such a big number. So um, even though I only teach Bible, I, sometimes I dabble in math. So if this is wrong, uh, beware, because there's lots of zeros to keep track of, and I lose track of those things. $465 trillion approximately if you take every man, woman, child in the United States, a population of about 307 million now, it's approximately $1,500 per person in the next 30 days. And to give it perspective a little bit here at West Bowles, um, if everyone here on a given Sunday morning would bring $1,500, we would have our annual church budget. Wow. That's something that just amazes me. Americans are spending at Christmas time at a rate of what it takes us over 10 times as long to collect our annual church budget. Isn't that amazing? 
So to, um, to echo what Brad said this morning, please, in, in, in your Thanksgiving, Christmas, holiday, retail spending rush, please remember your church. You know, um, yeah, amen. I, um, yeah. It's not about the money. It really isn't about the money. When I see those dollar signs and, and, and uh, I pray about the, the money situation in the church, I, I don't see dollar signs. I see people. I see the family that, that Brad mentioned. I see, um, I see our staff and, and their families who we're responsible for before God, who really are our number one missionaries here. And, um, you know, I know I'll hear it from staff uh, during uh, Monday's staff meeting because they don't like it um, <laughs> when I praise them. Um, I'll tell you, folks, you have one of the most wonderful and talented staff and families that I've ever seen in any church or any organization anywhere. Uh, you do. And, um, and they won't like me telling you this either, but over the last five years, because they're doing their part, they've taken pay cuts so that we could continue to reach as many people as possible. All of these talented people, if they were interested in making money, the marketplace out there, they could make way more than they make here, but they don't. They're here because they love God, they love others, they love you, and like Heather said, you've become their life. So when I see dollar signs and I think of year-end, I think of our staff and their families. I see those people. I see the people in our community that we haven't reached yet, that if we had greater resources, we could reach. And I see you guys. Um, as we increase our family time here and what church means to us as a family, I'd love for us to be able to serve and do more, even for those who are already here, especially for you guys. And all of that takes resources. So uh, Brad and I were talking, and we, we've got a plan. Um, the, the plan is that um, we're going to have a Black Friday at West Bowles. <laughs> Only we'll call, it, we'll call it White Friday, right, because it's better. White is better. So, yeah, so for 30 days in January, okay, everyone brings $1,500. We make our annual budget. And then we don't have this kind of churchy last year-end crush where, you know, I lay awake at night and, yeah, God keeps us on our knees and, yes, indeed, he reigns and he's always come through and you will too. I know you will because you always do. Um, but please, remember, remember your church uh, at the end of the year so we can keep on and even expand proclaiming and sharing and bringing the good news of Jesus Christ to our community. Amen? Amen. Awesome. Um, speaking of money, although um, the man I'm about to name, and Ryan alluded to him, uh, his story is about so much more than money. But speaking of money, I want to spend some time the next four weeks sharing with you one of my favorite Christmas stories, and it's the story of Ebenezer Scrooge. Yeah, go ahead. Everybody say, Scrooge. Yeah. His story and those four 
four spirits that visit him. Everybody remembers the three spirits, spirit of Christmas past, spirit of Christmas present, spirit of Christmas yet to come. Remember the fourth one, though, too, is Jacob Marley. So for the next four Sundays, we're going to take each spirit, and we're going to take a look at this gift, really, that Dickens gives annually at Christmas, and what those spirits bring, and teach Ebenezer Scrooge, and can teach, too, I think, what's in us. We all got a little bit of Scrooge in us, I think. I know I do. And it's probably one reason why I enjoy uh, watching A Christmas Carol every year. We had a chance to go uh, yesterday to see the production down at the Stage Theater. We go, uh, we go every year, usually a little bit closer to Christmas, but I wanted to go and taste it and feel it and smell it just in anticipation of this series. And once again, it's like seeing the story again for the first time. And, and, and we can identify, I think, with Ebenezer, even if he's kind of off to the max on the side there. There are components, I think, uh, in Ebenezer that uh, maybe speaks to all of us. Now, as, um, as is usually the case, John Burns, he prepares the PowerPoint background slides for the messages that I use, and he sent me the one uh, this week, a couple weeks ago. I said, hey, Todd, what do you think about this, and uh, what do you think? <laughs> well, we got it over here. Yeah, I opened up my email, and, and, and that guy, like, filled the screen. So I jumped back, and uh, then I laughed, and then I wrote John back and said, John, that's perfect. And I said, uh, John, I think you need to take a little bit of time off and get away. <laughs> So uh, John's not here this morning. Praise God for Matthew Beatty. Uh, the Beatty boys are running everything uh, this morning. So thank you guys. So John, John could um, John could get away um, uh, just with his family for a while. Um, like many of you, I, you know, I've seen a Christmas Carol lots of times. I've seen it uh, uh, in the movies. Um, I've seen it on stage. But uh, the last couple of weeks, for the first time, I actually went and got the book and just read the book, because I'd never read the book, A Christmas Carol, and I was curious, you know, how much was lost, how much was added when it goes from book to, to, to bigger production, and, and I was delighted that, that uh, you know, most of the stage productions, aside, you know, maybe from the Muppets Christmas Carol, <laughs> or maybe that weird one with Bill Murray in it, right, called Scrooged. But the ones that stay true to the story, they follow Dickens' book uh, very closely and in very um, close detail. Um, I'm not sure if, um, if Charles Dickens was a Christian. Uh, most biographers lean no, but um, that's between him and God, and we'll see. Uh, whether or not he was, whether or not he was, Dickens did know the Bible, talked about the Bible and its stories often and was, is quoted in saying and in writing that he used the New Testament um, as a primary source uh, for his writings. And, and certainly Dickens' life dedication to speaking out on behalf of the poor, um, especially for poor children, uh, is biblical. Uh, he dedicated his life to a Dickens' uh, one-year Dickens' uh, 
uh, was speaking as he did on behalf of the poor, and, and he vowed he would, quote, strike a sledgehammer blow on behalf of the poor man's child. And then that December, he wrote A Christmas Carol. It's intended by Dickens to be a sledgehammer blow on behalf of the poor. In reading A Christmas Carol the last couple of weeks, there were parts of it, maybe it's because I saw it on the page, um, another story came to mind. Um, One that I had read before and one that I'm sure many of you have read many times before, too. And um, it's a story that Jesus told. And we find it in Luke 16, and it's the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. See, uh, see if you can start to feel some of the ties, whether intended or not, uh, between that parable and a Christmas story. I'm reading at Luke chapter 16, beginning at verse 19. Jesus said, There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. The time came when the beggar died, and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. In hell, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. And so he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and to cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, Son, Remember that in your lifetime you received your good things, while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you a great chasm has been fixed, so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us." The rich man answered, Then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus, Lazarus to my father's house, for I have five brothers. This parable is often called the parable of the six brothers. For I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will change, they will repent. He said to him, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. 
says the very word of God. Amen? There are some parallels between that parable and Dickens' Christmas story. I want to get at them with you this way, and um, we'll see where the sermon takes us, where the message takes us. If, uh, if anything, you'll have uh, some around-the-water cooler things to talk about, I think, uh, Christmas time, and maybe can use a Christmas story to, to talk about something biblical I want to take a look at one parallel that um, I think was intended by Dickens. Um, I'm not sure. We'll find out. But it's pretty strong. Look at the name. Look at the name that Dickens chooses for his main character, Ebenezer Scrooge. I hadn't given it some thought, but then I was reading. It's reading last night, actually. And um, one commentary was saying just how tedious uh, Dickens was in choosing the precise words that he uses. He's a very wordy writer. I'll give you a, a piece of what he wrote in a bit. He's, he's hard to read. It's like every descriptive sentence, he, he exhausts five or six thesauruses. <laughs> and he just... And so it's an acquired taste, uh, I've discovered, to read Dickens. But uh, he was very meticulous and very careful, this biographer was writing, about um, words that he would use, and especially about names. And so I thought, well, what was he thinking with Ebenezer Scrooge? You know, Sc Scrooge doesn't, didn't mean yet when he wrote it what it means to us today. You say to anybody in the West at least, oh, don't be such a Scrooge. Most people know exactly what you mean, right? So why did he pick it? And I'm looking at the name, and I thought, Ebenezer, you know, that looks Jewish. And I find out it is. It's Hebrew. And then I remember, that's in the Bible. That's in 1 Samuel. Talk about more about that in a minute. So I get on my resource to see what does Ebenezer mean, because Hebrew, uh, uh, he the Hebrew language and the Jewish culture are very serious about name meanings. So I thought, I'm going to find out what Ebenezer means. And I look up Ebenezer, and it's two Hebrew words. Evan, we say Eben, but the B in uh, Hebrew is a V. So go ahead, say Evan and Ezer. Evan, Ezer, Ebenezer. And I look up, and the word Evan means stone. And the word Ezer means to help or helper. And so Ebenezer means stone of help or a stone helper. I thought, well, that's interesting. And then I thought, I wonder what Scrooge means. Did he... Did Scrooge come from anywhere? So I do some more research. I do some more, some more digging. And I find out that Scrooge comes from a variation of an old English verb, to Scrooge or to Scrooze with a Z. And it means, get this, to squeeze 
or to press. And so Dickens names his main character squeezing stone of help. Well, now that's, this kind of thing fascinates me. (laughs) That fascinates me. And you can see, I don't think I'm imagining this, Dickens, you can see his conscious intent here with this name he comes up. It's evident. Listen to Dickens' introduction of Scrooge in chapter 1 or Stav or stave one in the Old English. I'm practicing my Old English now. I'm reading Dickens. Listen to how he talks about Scrooge. Oh, but he was a tight-fisted hand at the grindstone, Scrooge. A squeezing, wrenching, grasping, scraping, clutching, covetous old sinner. Hard, and sharp as flint, from which no steel had ever struck out generous fire, secret and self-contained and as solitary as an oyster. The cold within him froze his old features, nipped his pointed nose, shriveled his cheek, stiffened his gait, made his eyes red, his thin lips blue, and spoke out shrewdly in his grating voice. A, a frosty rime was on his head. It's like that layer of ice if you get caught in an ice storm that gets in your hair. That's a rime. A frosty rime was on his head and on his eyebrows and his wiry chin. He carried his own low temperature always about with him. He iced his office in the dog days and didn't thaw it one degree at Christmas. This Ebenezer, this stone of help, was squeezed and squeezing indeed. Ebenezer was indeed Scrooge. And I don't know what Dickens intended Maybe a little bit of both. Was it Ebenezer, this this stone, who was supposed to be a stone of help? Was he squeezed by his own love of money, which kept him from helping? Or is the squeeze there to foreshadow what the supernatural and the steel and the spirits would do to this stone of help, this stone from whom help should be coming in the business of mankind, but it wasn't. And so do the spirits squeeze the stone? Now, do you know what else? What? You say what? what? You're bah humbug. <laughs> no. no, say what? Don't say bah humbug. Um, I haven't forgot, I haven't forgot about the parable we just read. I just think this tie is cool. So, does anyone know, don't say it out loud, get the, I, I tell my students that every student, every person has a different speed uh, light bulb. 
that goes over the, the, uh, that's over their heads. And you who teach kids, you know. You praise God for the quick light bulbs. <laughs> In your class, you do. You know? What's two plus two? Four! <laughs> but you also know as a teacher that your heart will go out to kids that are built uh, with little slower light bulbs. Not, not worse, they process. So I'll often have to tell the kids with the, with the, with the quick light bulbs, that's great, go ahead, throw your hand up, show me your light, but keep it quiet, let the slow light bulbs, like those gym lights, right? So if you're a quick light bulb, don't yell it out. Let the gym lights among us get it. Does anyone know what the name Lazarus means? You see it in writing, and I've helped you a little bit, because in Hebrew, those last three names there, they're all the same name. Lazarus, Eleazar, Eliezer. It's the same name. Do you see the same root? Ezer? So that part means help or helper. That leaves the L part. Shortened just to the letter L in Lazarus, but originally E-L-L. L means God. And so Lazarus means God of help or God helps. And so in the parable, the poor man who has nothing is named God helps And in Dickens' parable, the main character is a stone of help that's either squeezing itself or needs to be squeezed. That's what you can delight your friends and your co-workers with around the water cooler. <laughs> not, many, not many have heard that, I don't think. I, I've asked, has anybody ever heard that? And no, they haven't. So, um, Now, of course, the greatest parallel between these two parables, the Christmas carol and, and um, the rich man and Lazarus, is the overriding lesson of each story. They serve as a warning, a sledgehammer blow. I'll bet that story in Jesus' day hit his audience every bit as hard in a day where it was just assumed in Jesus' day, and you find that here today too. Well, if you're rich, you're blessed. It's a sign of God's favor, necessarily. And when that reversal happens, that was a blow to that audience in Jesus' day. But the greatest parallel between the two stories is they both serve as a warning, a very clear warning. Because both the rich man in the parable and Jacob Marley are doomed. And they're both in torment because they didn't 
help the poor. And yeah, I cried again yesterday at the Christmas carol, and I love to see the transformation in Ebenezer, and it is a story of hope and redemption. But don't miss the sledgehammer blow that Dickens, its author by his own mouth, intended. It's a warning. Not a warning against wealth. Too often that comes out of the church of God that somehow God doesn't like the rich or somehow we, we've reversed it. Oh, if you got money, you must be doing something wrong, you know, before God. No. Wealth is an amazing blessing that God gives. So it's not a warning against wealth. It's warning against a type of wealth. The type of wealth that when we have it doesn't allow us to see and care and do for the Lazaruses that God lays at our gate. A difference between these two stories, the rich man and Lazarus in A Christmas Carol. One obvious difference is the rich man is not allowed to go back and warn his family. Lazarus isn't allowed to go. Interesting that the rich man, even though he's in hell, is still sort of treating Lazarus like someone who he can command to go. Isn't that something? But no one's allowed to go back in the parable to warn. And I wonder if Dickens, knowing the story, thought, why not write a story? What would happen if the rich man went back? And so he sends Jacob, Jacob Marley. What's often missed, I think, I miss it. You know, I see Marley just as another, you know, scares Scrooge. But what's often missed about Marley is that Marley arranges this whole thing and he does it to try and help his friend. The parable that Jesus tells doesn't let the rich man go and warn his brothers, but Dickens lets him go. As Marley says to Scrooge, I am here to warn you, Marley says to Ebenezer, that you yet, that you have yet a chance and hope of escaping my fate, a chance and hope of my procuring stone of help, Ebenezer. One mini application this morning. You know, we should all be so fortunate to have friends like Jacob Marley who when they see us going down a, a, a wrong path, a dangerous path, come and tell us. And really in Jacob Marley, that's what we're to be about too. People interested in 
telling people that there is hope. There's hope. One more piece with the name Ebenezer, and then I'll let you go. Ebenezer is in the Bible. It's in 1 Samuel. A practice of the Israelites and all Near or Mid-Eastern peoples, it seems, throughout history, is when, whenever their gods would do something great, whenever their gods would do a momentous event that would help them, the people would set up a stone, a monument, to remember what God had done. And they'd set it up very near the spot. Jacob wrestles with the Lord. What does he do with the stone as his pillow when he's done? He sets up the stone. The children of Israel cross the River Jordan, and to mark how God had helped them cross it, what do they do before they move on? They set up stones. And the idea is with that stone set up, You'd come by and visit that country or region. You'd see these stones that were obviously man-made. They didn't just fall like that. Stonehenge, in fact, may be a standing stone, a stone set up to commemorate something. And you'd come by, you'd see the stone, and you'd ask people, what did your God do for you? Tell us the story of the stone." A standing stone of that nature, the stone that Jacob tilted, the stones that were put in the River Jordan, the other biblical examples of stones set to mark a place where God helps. In Hebrew, take a wild guess at what those biblical standing stones are called. They're Ebenezer. For years, right, you've wondered, what's up with that hymn? (laughs) You're singing along that Thanksgiving hymn, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. Thanksgiving hymn, right? A Thanksgiving, giving thanksgiving to God that he has helped us through his blessing. And the songwriter gets it. Because the second verse, after you're thanking God for the magnificent thing he's done in your life and helping you, how does the second verse start? Here I raise my Ebenezer. And Dickens takes his Ebenezer and through the supernatural transforms him, this stone that should be helping And Dickens sets Ebenezer up. He turns Ebenezer into an Ebenezer after he unscrooges him. (laughs) And Ebenezer, the Ebenezer, Ebenezer, for the last nearly 300 years, 200 years, is a standing stone, is an Ebenezer in Dickens' mind of what it means 
to keep Christmas. What the supernatural has done and what the supernatural we know as our God must do to us, his community, if we are to really impact the world with the love of God. Because God comes and finds you and finds me wherever we are. He transforms us in the name of Jesus Christ, fills us with his very presence in the Holy Spirit, and sets us up to mark what he's done. And we all rejoice that Ebenezer becomes an unscrooged Ebenezer. And it's a great tale. Amen. But the next three weeks... I want to back up a bit. How did Ebenezer Scrooge, how did those spirits bring about that transformation in Ebenezer Scrooge? And I think each of the remaining spirits adds a different piece. And when I looked at them, I thought, oh, I need, I need each of those pieces again, this Christmas and every Christmas, to help continue that process of my transformation into becoming more and more like Jesus, especially in this area of caring. So we'll take a look, see how we move from a squeezed stone of help to partnering with God, how we move from an Ebenezer Scrooge, a squeezed stone of help, to partnering with God as a Lazarus and God helping. And may the day that we die, may the legacy that we leave in that regard be set up not as the tombstone with Ebenezer written on it, having failed to love his neighbor, but that our gravestones were as gravestones were intended to be from the beginning, a marker put there by loved ones left behind to signify how God helped them through that person and that life lived. Let's pray. As the choir makes their way up to give us our closing benediction, Father in heaven, once again Christmas time roars in. And Father, often when it roars in, it brings with it things that would distract us from Jesus being the reason for the season. And, and more specifically, given the message of this morning and the message to follow, looking at Dickens' Christmas Carol, it roars in and, and pushes us often to, 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 to think more even of ourselves and to forget even more, or to forget those who are truly needy. 
Father, as, as we allow in the light of your word Dickens' spirits of Christmas past, present, and yet to come, as we allow them to teach us, open our hearts, give us what we need, protect our hearts to find again the salvation in Jesus that comes, the salvation that Christmas brings, the salvation of saving us from being a squeezed stone of help and moves us to partnering with you, the God of help. Father, we love you, and we ask this in Jesus' priceless name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.